The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. Okay, if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to read a very famous passage of Scripture. Uh, this past week, uh, I've written in, in the newsletter under the Dear Friends that we went to a conference that's run by the, the, the movement that we belong to, the Australian Christian Churches. We belong to a movement called Australian Christian Churches. There's a, just nearly 1,100 churches all over Australia, but in New South Wales, we have about a third of those churches, and they're in New South Wales. And, and for the last 26 years, I was involved as one of the leaders of that movement. We call it the state executive. But last Wednesday, I stepped down. I resigned after 26 years of investment, and uh, they actually put two ladies on. So we have two women for the very first time on our state executive, and I think that deserves a clap. That we've got two women, and uh, that's awesome. I love that. Great women, awesome women, and um, but but the state conference wasn't just about electing um, executives. It was about ministering to pastors and also encouraging pastors. And as wonderful as all the speakers was, the one that really touched me the most was uh, my friend Phil Camden that got to do a half-hour session. And we had Phil preach at our church at the beginning of last year in January. And he was given a, um, a diagnosis just about four years ago um, that he had motor neurone disease. And he was talking about it at the conference where when he got that news, it was the day that all the colour drained out of his life. And his incredibly colourful world. You know, we're talking about being senior pastor of a growing church, having all visions and dreams. You know, you've got your family, everything's going for, everything's going well. And all of a sudden, you get told that you've got less than two years to live and you're going to die a very cruel death. Motor neurone disease is a very cruel disease. All the muscles of your body just um, die, basically, and, and you get reduced to living in a very tiny cell, but it does not impact your brain. So your brain is still as sharp as it ever was, but your body just stops doing what it was able to do bit by bit by bit. Now, for those of you that have been here for lots of years, you know that we went through that journey when Daniel Thornton was here with his mum. And uh, that was a terrible thing uh, with his mum. One of the friends that I grew up in youth group uh, with, uh, Ian Fuller, used to be the principal of uh, Power Ministry School at Hillsong before it became Hillsong College. He also died of motor neuron disease and and um, one of our family friends that uh, my parents led to the Lord, Vince Marucci, also died of motor neuron disease. So I knew three people very closely that, uh, that had died of motor neuron disease. And when Phil, at the state, who was on the state executive with us, um, told us around that table, guys, I've got some, some news to tell you. Went to the doctor and the doctor told me I've got motor neuron disease. The whole lot of us just stopped and we cried. We all cried. It was like... Phil, this is terrible news. This is really, really sad news, especially knowing that there's no cure for motor neurone disease. There's no cure. 
Anyway, he was given two years. Four years later, he's still going. And he was able to speak at state conference so powerfully. And uh, he was able to speak about just the battles that he confronted and um, how the color drained out of his life. But then he spoke on the journey of the color coming back into his life. And he spoke about um, the fact that faith, hope and love, when he discovered faith, hope and love, that it was like discovering the three primary colors. Every master artist has three primary colors, blue, yellow and red. And uh, out of those three colors, all the other colors are established. And he said, when faith, hope and love came back into my life, I was able to put the color back into my life and he preached a sermon holding a paint palette with those three colors and it was just so powerful where where um he's you know sitting on a stool slurring his speech but still being incredibly articulate brain very sharp and is living there with the death sentence and um and and just encouraging us that when scenarios come to us that want to cause us to be full of fear. And fear wants to dominate our lives. That God can step in and bring faith, hope and love. And cast out the fear. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. And so we don't want to live life afraid because we're all dying. Turn to the person next and say, that's a really encouraging word. <laughs> we're all dying. I mean, that's the fact. Um, we just don't know what day it is. But um, when, when you're told you've got, you know, a deadline, it's much more confronting than when you don't know when the day is. But we're all dying and we all need faith, hope and love. But look, I, I want to talk to you this morning how God helps us in confronting our fears. There's all sorts of fears that want to confront us. And I can't think of a worse day when you're getting told you've got motor neurone disease, you're going to die and it's going to be a horrible death. When that fear comes, just knocking onto your door and it just just knocks down the door and it just knocks you over. Not only you, but uh, his wife, Eleanor, the, his, his daughters, his, his grandsons, everyone that loved him, the same thing, kaboom. What happens? How does God help us in confronting our fears? Well, I want to share just some thoughts to help you. Is that okay? Okay. Luke chapter 12, verses 6 to 7 says, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? Let's stop there for a second. Five sparrows. How many of you have ever named a sparrow? A sparrow? How many of you have ever caught a sparrow and put it in a cage and fed it? Sparrows. I think if there's ever a bird that is seen as an insignificant bird, it's a sparrow. I mean, budgies, we've got budgies, we've got you know, all sorts of colourful birds in Australia, but sparrows, sort of insignificant. So you've got five sparrows, two copper coins. Uh, I mean, two... Two copper coins. How many of you can still remember copper coins? There, there's all the old folks right there. How many of you have never seen a copper coin? There's some, some young people who've never seen the one cent and the two cent coins. Uh, the copper coins. 
So we've got insignificant sparrows, insignificant coins, and it goes on and it says, and not one of them is forgotten before God. Wow. Just think about that. Not one of them, not one sparrow is forgotten before God. And then it goes on and it says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, let's stop there for a second. How many, how many of you are in love passionately with a person next to you? I've got my wife on the front row, and I'm still passionately in love with her. Matter of fact, I love her more than I did when we first got married. But you know what? I have not stopped and counted how many hairs are on Orion's head. You know, I started, but I never got finished. You know, it's just... Now, I'm sure if there's anyone here that's bald, the job is much easier for your spouse to count the number of hairs on your head. Isn't that right, Kevin? I mean, you've got that worked out. But um, it says here that God has numbered the hairs. They're all numbered. And here's, here's the next three words. Here it is. Do not fear. Everybody say, do not fear. That's the essence of this story. Do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. So what's the point? This is the point. Do not fear because God has the details. If he's got the details of the number of hairs on your head, he's got the details of the sparrows, the coins, he's got the, he's got, he's got the little stuff. He's got the detail on the insignificant stuff. He's also got the big stuff. And this is what you've got to understand is that God stops to get the detail on the small stuff. Then also God has stopped to get the detail on the big stuff. The big stuff. So what you're going through, the big stuff that you're going through, God knows about it. Now, you know what's funny though? Is that when you read the Bible, it's, it's funny the, sort, the, the detail that God's into. So he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the number of tears that you've cried. Psalm 56 verse 8 says that he knows the number of tears that you've cried. And what's more, he's actually written them in a book. You think about that. I mean, I'm sure that, Maggie, you love your kids. But I guarantee you've never counted how many tears they've cried over the years. But God knows the number. And not only does he know that, he's written it in a book. He, Psalm 139 verse 2 tells us, he knows when you sit down and when you get up. And any Pentecostal churches, we do the sit down and get up a lot more than some other churches. Sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, whatever. But uh, the point is that God knows every time you sit down, God knows every time you get up. When you got up this morning, he put that down. He got the count of how many times you've ever gotten up. I mean, that's, that's, that's detail. How many of you know that's detail? And, and I love this, this other one in, in Psalm 56, verse 8. It says that he knows your wanderings. And, and when, when you do um, a, a word study of that word wanderings, it actually means he knows your sorrows. He knows when you're sad. He knows when you're grieving. He knows every detail about your life. You number my wanderings. That word wanderings is more than just aimlessly going around in circles. It's like when you're in grief, when you're, when you're sad, you wander around aimlessly. He knows that. He knows the times of your sadness, your pain, 
He's got it all, the tears, and they're all written in a book. He's numbered them all. Now, can I just say to you this, that the people that know the detail of your life are the people that care the most about your life. Come on, let me say it again. The people that know the detail of your life are the people that care the most about your life. Can a mother ever forget the birthday of their kids? Other people might forget, but, uh, you know, the, the beauty of us is that I only have to remember Christelle's birthday once every four years. She was born on the 29th of February. And so, hey, you know, if I forget every three years, it's not your birthday yet. Uh, no, I've never forgot. Matter of fact, when she was growing up, we'd celebrate it on the 28th of February. We'd celebrate it on the 1st of March. Any opportunity to celebrate. Now it's a husband that's got to remember 29th. But you know what? This year, leap year, Christelle got her seventh birthday. <laughs> How awesome is that? For those of you that are new here, Christelle was our worship leader. She's also my daughter, and she's seven years. She's had seven birthdays, and that's awesome. Do you know, do you know if you really want to get on my good side, is learn to pronounce my surname. It's Juliano, not Luliano, not Uliano. I know, I know uh, one of my Asian friends says, you got an Asian surname, it's Lu Li Ano. That's my Asian surname. Lu Li Ano. And uh, there you go. That's why I get on so well with the Asians, because my surname can be translated very quickly into Mandarin. But uh, you see, people that have the detail, can, can I speak to the guys? How many guys have we got here? You want to get on with, well with the girls? Get the detail right. You know, just notice things. You didn't have to say it that loudly, darling. But <laughs> never. <laughs> oh, that was you. Like, Miriam, you didn't have to say it that loudly. <laughs> just get the details. The, you know, when you notice things, when you notice, you notice the detail, it's just amazing. If she gets a haircut or a hair color or anything to do with the hair, it's like, if you don't notice, you're in the doghouse. You are in the... Do- is there anything different around? Is there anything different about me? Let me tell you, that's a clue. She's done something to her hair, okay? Just putting it out there, okay? Does that even, you don't have to look up. Say, yeah, you changed it. No, no, you've got to look up. Okay. It's the detail. People that know the detail. People that show interest. And can I just say to you, if you've got kids, do you know the detail about your kids? Do you know the food that they like or the food they don't like? Or do you know their likes and dislikes? Do you know who their best friends are? Do you know, do you know who the people that they connect to? Do you know what they're talking about, what they're, you know, what they're listening to? Do you know the music that they're listening to? Do you know the books that they're reading? What's, what's the detail? Do you know what, what work they're into? Do you know the detail of the work that they're into? Because if you don't learn the detail, it basically says that something else is more important. Can, can I just say, this, this, this will impact you, but every single one of you know the detail of the things you're passionate about. If you collect butterflies, 
And I'm sure there's a whole bunch of you that collect butterflies. You know the detail about butterflies. Can I just be honest with you? I know nothing about butterflies. And that's a reflection of my interest in butterflies. But I like cars. And so I I know things about cars. And I'll tell you things about it. My friend James Dive is also a car fanatic. And so we'll talk about cars because, and he's, he knows detail. And so the more detail he knows, the more I know that he really likes cars. But talk to Anne, you know, oh, and, and her detail about cars is the color. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, ours is a black car. That's like Christelle's car. Hers is black as well. They're the same, aren't they? No. There's a little bit more difference than just the color. Well, if the color's the same, the car's the same. No. Okay. Do you understand what I'm saying? The detail reflects so much. And can I just say to you that, that if you want to be a great father, you want to be a great mother, a great husband, a great wife, a great brother, a great sister, a great parent, a great son, daughter, learn the detail. Remember the detail. And the detail will reflect so much about your love and your care. And this is what the Bible says. God knows the detail about your life. The detail that nobody else knows. God knows. And if he knows the detail, what do you think he knows about the big things that you're facing right now? The big things that, that, that cause you to shake the big things that cause trauma in your life, of course he knows. Of course he cares. And of course he's got a way through. This is what the Bible tells us, that not only does God know the detail, but he also has a plan for the big stuff in your life. Probably after John 3.16, Jeremiah 29.11 is the most quoted verse in Scripture today. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. But you know what? The, the, the second part of the verse talks about what the plans involve. And they involve three things. They involve peace, future, and hope. Peace, future, and hope. That's why God's plans will always try to bring you into peace. Mm-hmm. You know what? So many people today are facing trauma. But God's plans for you will bring you into peace. So many people are afraid of the future, but God's saying, I've got the future. That's in my hands. Don't be afraid of it. And then so many people are going through life in despair. And God's saying, but I'm the God of hope. I want to give you hope. And so it's so important that you understand that whatever you're going through, God's got it. And he's going to see you through. And he's going to give you peace, a future, and a hope. The other verse that I love so powerfully is... 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Can we put that up on the screen? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It talks about in the middle of your dilemma, God will make a way through. It's so important that you understand 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says this, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. That word temptation can also be translated trial. That word trial, temptation, uh, confrontation, ordeal, whatever, whatever the big stuff that you're facing right now, it's not just unique to you. There's other people that have confronted it. You're not the first, you won't be the last. 
But then it says, but get this, God is faithful. See, you've got to work out that God is faithful. Because sometimes what happens, when God doesn't answer the way we want him to answer, we interpret he's not faithful. He doesn't know. He doesn't understand. He doesn't care. Why is this happening to me? The fact is, my friend Phil was a pastor, a great pastor, a compassionate pastor. But he contracted motor neuron disease. I don't even know, nor does he, why. It's just happened. It's just that God's got a way through. He's faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. See, this is where grace, God's grace, comes in. And, and you know what? God says, when you're going through it, I've got the gift of grace. You either take it or you reject it. But I give you the gift of grace. And this is even Paul, the Apostle Paul, the great apostle of the New Testament, said, I was given this thorn in the flesh, this messenger from Satan to buffet me. And three times I prayed, God, take it away. God, take it away. God, take it away. And God says, no. But what I'll do is that I'll give you grace. Will you take it? My grace is sufficient for you. I'll give you the gift of grace. Will you take the grace? Or will you just keep complaining about it? Because that's our choice. We either keep complaining about it or we take the grace to go through. And it says, um, but with the temptation, with the trial, God will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There's there's a way through. That way of escape is not running away. It's a way through. God's going to make a way through. There's a way through for you. There's a way through for you. There's a God way through with the grace God's way through. And this is what makes us big people. And you need to get hold of the message that God's preparing us for eternity. That we don't live just in the moment. We live in the light of eternity. And some of the stuff that we go through, we don't even understand why we're going through. But God's preparing us to rule over angels, to rule and reign with him forever and ever. He's preparing us for that day. And the very lessons that we're learning right now is preparation for eternity. And we keep running away. We keep running away from it. We keep blaming God. We keep, we keep getting upset and offended with God when God's trying to take us through. With every big stuff that you're facing, there's a way through. Second thing I want to say, second point, major point. First one was do not fear because God has the details. Second point that I want to make is this. Do not fear because God sees. God sees. God sees. God sees. Not only does he know the detail, but he sees. If you turn to Genesis chapter 16, there's a fascinating story about a woman called Hagar. Hagar was Sarah's maid. How many of you know the story of Abraham and Sarah? God promised Abraham that he would have a son. It would be a son of promise. And it wasn't happening. Nothing was happening. So Sarah had gone through the age of childbearing. So she was barren. She'd gone through the age of childbearing. Abraham was old and God had made him a promise and it wasn't happening. Is there anyone here that's had a promise from God and it's not happening? Then put up your hand. But I'm sure that there's plenty of you here that have had a promise from God and it's not happening. So then this is what happens. We then try to make it happen. And we try to take it into our own hands and make it happen. And that's exactly what happened with Sarah. So she says, hey, listen, you know, God's promised us that we'd have a child. It's not happening. So so I've got this beautiful Egyptian maid called Hagar. And uh, I've come up with an idea. What if you sleep with Hagar and 
if she gets pregnant, then the son of promise can happen through her. And Abraham says, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do it. No pushback. Maybe this might not be. No pushback at all. And so, so Sarah gets Hagar, presents Hagar to Abraham. Abraham sleeps with her. And I, how many of you know this is Old Testament? It's like Old Testament. They didn't have the Holy Spirit to help them. They all did some pretty crazy things. And uh, we're New Testament people. So we have the Holy Spirit and we have revelation at a much deeper level than they did there. So I'm not advocating that, that that's, I'm not advocating that at all. I'm saying, don't do it. <laughs> Trust me on that. Just don't do it. It will lead to problems. Anyway, so Hagar gets pregnant. She gets pregnant. And now that she's pregnant, Sarah becomes jealous she becomes incredibly upset. And then she starts doing very ungodly things, like picking on Hagar, um, abusing her, just, just giving her hell. And so Hagar runs away. She just runs away. How many of you have ever been in a position where you just want to run? You've just been there, done that. I just want to run. Problem is that she was running away rather than running to. So it's one thing to run away. It's another thing to run to. And so she's out in the wilderness because that's where you end up if you run away. Everybody say that's where you end up, in the wilderness. And so she's in the wilderness and, um, and an angel comes to her in the wilderness by the spring, verse 8, and says to Hagar, um, where have you come from and where are you going? So where are you going? And so all she could answer was, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. I'm running away. So the angel of the Lord says, you need to return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel made her a promise that he would multiply her descendants so they shall be counted for, they shall not be counted for the multitude and and um, came and comforted her. And, and so then what happens with Hagar? She, this, she has this revelation. Here it is in verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. You are the God who sees, she said. Have I also here seen him who sees me? And so she got a revelation of the God who sees. And then she says, I've actually seen the one who sees me. He sees me in my situation. He sees me in my stress. He sees me in my turmoil. He sees me in my heartache. Can I just say for some of you that are sitting here today, never run away to nothing. You need to go from A to B, but you don't leave A to go nowhere. You'll end up in the wilderness going around the mountain, round and round again. And so what happened with Hagar is that she had to go back and wait. And 18 years later, she was able to leave and go somewhere and bring and become a mother of, of a nation because God had blessed Abraham and his seed, whether it was through Sarah or whether it was through Hagar, had to be blessed. Anyway, that's another story. We're not going to go there. But, but what I want to say to you today is this, that sometimes when we're expecting God to answer in a particular way, he says, no, I'm not going to do that. And that's, that's a hard word to take because it's much easier for us to tell God what we want. 
Isn't that right? It's, it's, it's so easy to, to, to dictate to God and to command God instead of saying, God, it's whatever you want that I'm willing to do. And so many, and we have to reanalyze our prayers and work out whether we're praying prayers that dictates to God or whether we're praying prayers that submitted to God. You say, where does it say that in the Bible? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because Jesus actually prayed a prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. You can read about it in Luke, Luke chapter 22, and it's, it's a very powerful prayer. How many of you remember the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is facing, Jesus knew what was coming. He knew that there was going to be a lot of suffering, and he's holding that cup of suffering. And, and this is what he's praying. If there's any other way, if there's any other way, would you, would, would you make it known? Would you take away this cup of suffering? And then, and then in chapter 22, verse 42, he makes this statement. And I want you to listen to this statement because it's such a powerful statement. But nevertheless, this is what Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. Wow. So he's Jesus in his fullness of humanity. How many of you know that Jesus was 100% man, 100% God? He wasn't 50% man, 50% God. He was 100% man, 100% God. So here he is in his humanity saying this, not my will, but your will. So what was the will of Jesus at that point? You know what the will of Jesus was? I don't want to die. I don't want to suffer. I don't want this. Is there any other way? That's my will. And then he comes to the point of submission, but nevertheless, not what I want, which is to not do this, but what you want, which is to do this. And get hold of this. God said no to Jesus. He said no to Jesus. Well, why did God say no to Jesus? So he could say yes to us. Because there's no other way that we could be saved except through the blood of Jesus Christ being shed. And so, and so he's Jesus saying, if there's any other way, and God said, there is no other way. Because I love humanity so much that I'm willing to actually sacrifice my son to save humanity. Can you see the value that you have where God the Father said no to Jesus to say yes to you? Don't you dare devalue yourself. Don't you dare put yourself down. Don't you dare say you're insignificant when God sacrificed so much for your salvation. On Wednesday when... When Phil Camden was talking about this, he actually used this very statement that God said no to me to say yes to others with motor neuron. And he started to see himself as a missionary to people with motor neuron disease. It was like, I, I didn't ask for this, but now that I have it, I can either be so busy praying against it or saying, God, you, you can heal me any time, but if you're not, then you've opened a door into a world that I would never be invited into. And so as a sufferer of motor neuron disease, he's been invited into the world of other sufferers of motor neuron disease. 
And he was talking to me about, about going all the way from Newcastle to Musselbrook to spend time with the sufferer of motor neuron disease that had been so debilitated that the only muscle that he had left was a muscle in his cheek. That was the only muscle that he had left. And so with that muscle on the cheek, he could, he could move a computer and answer questions and make, make comments through the twitching of the muscle on his cheek. And he says, John, you've got no idea how strenuous it was to have a conversation with this guy. You've got no idea how I wanted to go in front and communicate for him, but knowing that if I did that, it would make him feel bad because he wanted to communicate. And he says, and it took two hours just to have a two-sentence conversation. I was moved. I was moved. But he's in a world. He's been invited into a world that was only open to him because of his disease. And he says this. This is, this is the way that I live. And I love this. I hope for the best. I prepare for the worst. But I always trust God. I hope for the best. Prepare for the worst. But I always trust God. I was so moved. I hope for the best. Prepare for the worst. But always trust God. God said no to film. So he could say yes to sufferers of motor neuron disease. And Phil was saying to me, there are people in heaven right now that would not be in heaven if I didn't contract motor neuron disease. I was just so moved. So moved. Faith is trusting that God knows, God sees, God cares, and God will see me through. You can either get upset with God and shake your fist that he hasn't done what you want him to do. But don't doubt for one minute that if he knows the detail of the number of hairs on your head, the sparrows, the coins, he knows your big stuff. And he's going to see you through. You just got to trust him. You just got to stay confident that he will see you through. And if he says no to you, it's because he's saying yes to somebody else. And you've got to be mature enough to say, I can handle that. I can handle that. If my no means that one person comes into the kingdom, then in the whole scheme of things, it's worth it just for one person to come into the kingdom. Come on. Liz, would you just come up and play something? Because I just want to finish by saying this. Stuff happens. Can you doubt that for one second, that stuff happens? Wow. I'm looking across this congregation today and I'm seeing people that woke up one day not realizing the news they were going to get that day. Policeman at the door, a doctor come to see me. I've got some news for you. I'm looking across the congregation and I'm seeing just various people with shocking things. I, I can still remember, we've got a prodigal and I can still remember the day when, when our prodigal 
sat us down and said, I've just lost my faith. The colour drained out of my life. It was just, to this day, I'm looking back thinking, wow, even the day my father died didn't do as much pain as that day. But you know what? We're hanging on. We're hanging on. Because let me tell you something. I can now identify with others that have got prodigals in a way that I would never have been able to identify. But you know what? We've never stopped praying. We've never stopped believing. It's 14 years now. And we're still praying. We're still believing. We're still hanging on. And you know, some of you are in the same boat. You're hanging on for stuff. But this is what I want to say to you, is that when that day comes, it's like there's a knock on the door. And you look, who's there? And this spirit of fear wants to just come into your house. And it's up to you whether you just step aside and let the fear come in. And when fear comes in, Fear will take all the color and just make your house black and white. Fear will just come in and just bring destruction into your home. And, and, and if it's not fear, then there's another doc knock on the door and it's stress. Stress wants to come into your house and stress wants to set up an atmosphere in your home. And how many of you know that the atmosphere of stress in your home is debilitating? But they just want to sit there, pride of place, just sit there and infuse their personality into your home. And other times, despair comes knocking at your door. And despair is the loss of hope. Despair is just the fear of the future, the fear of anything good happening, the fear of loneliness, the f- despair. It's a horrible spirit. It just comes knocking at your door and, and, and so many people just open the door and, and despair comes in. And then there are other times, I call them the three amigos. The three amigos, they turn up at your door, fear, stress, and despair. They've got their party stuff with them. And they're saying, we're coming in and we're setting up camp in your house. And you've got to work out whether you're going to let them in. You're going to work out whether you're just going to let them camp there because they're house wreckers. And if you've got fear in your house, it just it gives you the shake. You can hardly hold your hand still because fear will give you the shakes. If you've got stress there, same deal. If you've got despair there, same deal. But let me tell you, there's a verse in the Bible in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where Jesus is declared as the one who comes and knocks on your door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone lets Jesus in, well, let me tell you what he will do. He doesn't like fear. He doesn't like stress. He doesn't like despair. So he gives them the big boot, kicks them out. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He brings peace. Jesus is the lover of your soul. He brings love. He brings joy. He brings light. He brings everything. On top of that, he brings salvation. He brings forgiveness. He brings every positive quality that you can think of. That's Jesus. Everything that's good and wholesome, that's Jesus. And I tell you, when he's knocking at your heart's door, when you let him in, he changes everything. And that's the testimony of it all. He changes everything on the inside. You know... The stuff on the outside might still be going on. But when you're at peace on the inside, you can get through it all. 
There might be a storm raging on the outside, but don't let the storm on the inside. There might be war raging on the outside, but don't let war on the inside. There might be all sorts of devastation happening on the outside, but don't let it on the inside. Jesus wants to live in your heart. Jesus wants to be the Lord of your life. And when he's there, you can walk through the darkness. You can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil because you know his rod and his staff will comfort you. His presence will be with you. He'll see you through. If he knows the stuff that's small, he knows the stuff that's big. If he knows the detail, of course he knows the big things. And today it's time to just let Jesus in his rightful place. Let's bow our heads for a Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.